Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Beloved family, how are you? I pray that you are well. Um, I tell you, my heart and my thoughts are so full of what we can all do as Catholics um, as we approach Lent, how we can um, make reparation for the injuries done against the Immaculate and the Sacred Heart of our Blessed Mother and our Lord. And yesterday, we had an email from someone, I think, who asked anonymously, why Jesus said, I thirst, was it simply that he was truly thirsty or did it have a different meaning and or deeper meaning? And we we spent a good amount of time uh, answering that, that it indeed has a deeper meaning. Not only does it um, answer the prophecy of, of Psalm 69, um, uh, but, um, but it also uh, has the, the, the deeper meaning of his heart that he thirsts for us, for our souls, for our salvation. Mother uh, Teresa of Calcutta wrote a very beautiful letter as if Jesus were speaking on the matter of uh, his thirst for us. And I read it in full yesterday. But today I'd like to go on to the second question, which was what is the significance of the blood and water that flowed out of Jesus' side? And I came across an article. There are many articles on the science of the crucifixion. Uh, this one is from Azusa Pacific. Um, it's not a Catholic college. It's a well-respected college. And this is um, an article by um, um, uh, Kathleen Schreer, uh, Ph.D., um, and... Um, uh, who is an associate professor in the Department of Biology and Chemistry. Um, and I've listened to numerous lectures on the... So sorry, beloved. I've listened to numerous lectures on uh, the science of the crucifixion and what actually took place um, in our Lord's crucifixion. This article does not claim to know specifically what took place with our Lord. I don't think we can know that specifically, but we can know what happens at such crucifixions as were used during the time of our Lord's crucifixion. And so it, the article says that she details the physio- physiological processes a typical crucified victim underwent and teaches her students to see Christ's death on the cross with new understanding. The exact events in this scenario may not have happened in Jesus' specific case, but the account is based on historical documentation of crucifixion procedures used during that time period. Please be aware that the following is of a realistic and graphic nature. I'm going to read it because it is why water and blood poured out of our Lord's side. And the ultimate answer is love. He died for love of us. Um, And she writes, It is important to understand from the beginning that Jesus 
would have been in excellent physical condition. As a carpenter by trade, he participated in physical labor. In addition, he spent much of his ministry traveling on foot across the countryside. His stamina and strength were most likely very well developed. With that in mind, it is clear just how much he suffered. If this torture could break a man in such good shape, it must have been a horrific experience. And she combines the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in this um, scenario. After the Passover celebration, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. After the Passover celebration, Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane to pray. During his anxious prayer about the events to come, Jesus sweats drops of blood. There is a rare medical condition called hematohydrosis. I probably haven't pronounced that right. During which the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands break down. Blood released from the vessels mixes with the sweat. Therefore, the blood sweat, uh, the body sweats drops of blood. This condition results from a mental anguish or high anxiety, a state Jesus expresses by praying, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Hematohydrosis makes the skin tender, so Jesus' physical condition worsens slightly. Traveling from Pilate to Herod and back, Jesus walks approximately two and a half miles. He has not slept, and he has been mocked and beaten. In addition, his skin remains tender from the hematohydrosis. Um, His physical condition worsens. Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged as required by Roman law before crucifixion. Beloved, this is beyond why the blood and water separated when he was pierced by a sword by the centurion. But we are approaching Lent, and it's good for us to know what he suffered for us. Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged as required by Roman law before crucifixion. Traditionally, the accused stood naked and the flogging covered the area from the shoulders down to the upper legs. The whip consisted of several strips of leather. In the middle of the strips were metal balls that hit the skin causing deep bruising. In addition, sheep bone was attached to the tips of each strip. I've heard this exact explanation from Catholic authors as well, beloved. When the bone makes contact with Jesus' skin, it digs into his muscles, tearing out chunks of flesh and exposing the bone beneath. The flogging leaves the skin on Jesus' back in long ribbons. By this point, he has lost a great volume of blood, which causes his blood to fall and puts him, which causes his blood pressure to fall and puts him into shock. The human body attempts to remedy imbalances such as decreased blood volume. So Jesus' thirst is his body's natural response to his suffering. If he would have had drank water, his blood volume would have increased. Roman soldiers place a crown of thorns on Jesus' head 
and a robe on his back. The robe helps the blood clot, similar to putting a piece of tissue on a cut from shaving, to prevent Jesus from sustaining more blood loss. As they hit Jesus in the head, the thorns from the crown push into the skin, and he begins bleeding profusely. The thorns also cause damage to the nerve that supplies the face, causing intense pain down his face and neck. As they mock him, the soldiers also belittle Jesus by spitting on him. They rip the robe off Jesus' back, and the bleeding starts afresh. Jesus' physical condition becomes critical. Due to severe blood loss, Without replacement, Jesus is undoubtedly in shock. As such, he is unable to carry the cross, and Simon of Cyrene executes this task. Beloved, I'm hoping you can follow this with me. I'm sick inside. I'm physically ill from reading this. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians between 3 and 400 B.C., it is quite possibly the most painful death ever invented by humankind. The English language derives the word excruciating from crucifixion, acknowledging it as a form of slow, painful suffering. Its punishment was reserved for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. Victims were nailed to a cross, However, Jesus' cross was probably not the Latin cross, but rather a tower cross in the shape of a T. The vertical piece, the stripes, remains in the ground permanently. The accused carries only the horizontal piece, the patibulum up the hill. Atop the patibulum lies a sign, the titulus, indicating that a formal trial occurred for a violation of the law. In Jesus' case, this reads, This is the King of the Jews. The accused needed to be nailed to the patibulum while lying down, so Jesus is thrown to the ground, reopening his wounds, grinding in dirt, and causing bleeding. They nail his hands to the patibulum. The Greek meaning of hands includes the wrist. It is more likely that the nails went through Jesus' wrists. If the nails were driven into the hand, the weight of the arms would cause the nail to rip through the soft flesh. I've heard this from many. Um, uh, I'm not sure if the shroud affirms this, but this is the, the true scientific understanding that the nails went through Jesus' wrists because if they were in his hands, the weight would have just ripped through his hands. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be back after the second break and continue with this article and take your calls and emails after the second break. Okay, God bless you, and we'll be right back.
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Understanding Melchizedek, Malachi, and Mass seem quite mysterious to most, even including Bible students. How about you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Melchizedek. He's the very first priest in biblical history. Though he's a prefigurement of Jesus' priesthood, Melchizedek was a person. To Abraham, he presented bread and wine, which are the biblical elements of a sacrifice, and now presented at a Catholic Mass. Secondly, Malachi. He follows up some 3,000 years later and says, In every place, incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. It is understood that the pure offering would be the sacrificial body and blood of Christ that is confected on every Catholic altar. Prophetically, this would replace and fulfill the ineffective temple sacrifices. And thirdly, my pesky comeback. That pure and holy sacrifice is not grape juice and a wafer at a non-Catholic communion service. Also, those elements are not Jesus' body, and they surely aren't Jesus' blood. However, I am glad to say that some grape juice and a wafer is a really nice summertime refreshment. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we are live, and we're going to be taking your calls and your emails live uh, following the next break. We are right in the middle of an article on the uh, scientific explanation of exactly what went on uh, in Jesus' day in a crucifixion. And, of course, we can apply this to our Lord, even though uh, every single detail might not be exact, but it is the form of crucifixion and physically what happens to the body. And just as we left um, before the break, um, the the author says that instead of um, uh, nailing our Lord's hands uh, to the um, patibulum, the, the crossbar of the cross, they would have put the nail in his wrists um, because to put the nail in his hand the weight of his body would have just ripped through his hands and i've i've heard this confirmed by uh, many many people <clears throat> and she says therefore the upper body would not be held to the cross if the hands ripped through if the nail ripped through the hands if placed in the wrist the bones in the and i've seen uh, numerous um, crucifixes with the nails in the wrist um, 
if it, again, on the hands, ripping through the hands, the upper body would not be held to the cross. And if placed in the wrist, the bones in the lower portion of the hand here support the weight of the arms and body, the body remains nailed to the cross. The huge nail, um, which is seven to nine inches long, damages or severs the major nerve to the hand, which is the median nerve, upon impact. This causes continuous agonizing pain up both of Jesus' arms. Once the victim is secured, the guards lift the patibulum and place it on the um, the stipes already in the ground. That's the long crossbar. Uh, as it is lifted, Jesus' full weight pulls down on his nailed wrists and his shoulders and elbows dislocate. In this position, Jesus' arms stretch to a minimum of six inches longer than their original length. It is highly likely that Jesus' feet were nailed through the tops as often pictured. In this position, uh, you know, they're, they're, on the, they're on the piece of wood like this and the nail uh, goes right through the top of his foot. Um, in this position, with the knees flexed at approximately 90 degrees, the weight of the body pushes down on the nails and the ankles support the weight. The nails would not rip through the soft tissue as would have occurred with the hands. Again, the nail would cause severe nerve damage. It severs the dorsal pedal artery of the foot and acute pain. Normally, why am I reading this? I'm sh- maybe some of you listening have said, oh my, my goodness, Mother, would you stop? We can't take this. Well, our Lord did, but he didn't take just a reading of it. He went through this, beloved, and we need to know this, not turn our backs on what God went through for us. Normally, to breathe in, the diaphragm, which is the large muscle that separates the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity, must move down. This enlarges the chest cavity, and air automatically moves into the lungs, which is through inhalation. To exhale, the diaphragm rises up, which compresses the air in the lungs and forces the air out. Exhalation. As Jesus hangs on the cross, the weight of his body pulls down on the diaphragm, and the air moves into his lungs and remains there. Jesus must push up on his nailed feet, causing more pain simply in order to exhale. In order to speak, Air must pass over the vocal cords during exhalation. The Gospels note that Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. It is amazing that despite his pain, he pushes up to say, forgive them. The difficulty surrounding exhalation leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen due to the difficulty of exhaling causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin breaking watery fluid 
from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart, the pericardial effusion, and lungs, plural effusion, um, the collapsing lungs, failing, the collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocate the victim. The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, myocardial infarction, which leads to cardiac arrest. In severe cases of cardiac stress, the heart can even burst, a process known as cardiac rupture. Jesus most likely died of a heart attack. After Jesus' death, the soldiers break the legs of the two criminals crucified alongside him, causing suffocation. Death would then occur quicker. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead, so that they did not break his legs. And of course, you know that also fulfilled prophecy. Instead, the soldiers pierced his side, John 19, to assure that he was dead. In doing this, it is reported that blood and water came out, referring to the watery fluid surrounding the heart and lungs. That's why the blood and the water separated for our anonymous writer. While these unpleasant facts depict a brutal murder, the depth of Christ's pain emphasizes the true extent of God's love for his creation. Teaching the physiology of Christ's crucifixion is a constant reminder of the magnificent demonstration of God's love for humanity that was expressed that day in Calvary. This lesson enables me to participate in communion, the remembrance of his sacrifice, with a grateful heart. I am struck every time with the stunning realization that as a flesh and blood human, Jesus felt every ounce of this execution. What greater love than this can a man have for his friends? Well, beloved, that's the end of the article. Would we dare complain of giving up coffee or chocolate or soda or dessert or any kind of food for Lent? Can we imagine complaining when we read what our Lord went through for us in giving up his life in such unbelievable torture? I think as families you should replay this, reread it, or just look up our Lord's crucifixion, the science of our Lord's crucifixion on the cross uh, in your computer. Do a search and you'll come across many articles. I trust Azusa Pacific, which is why I read this one. But there are many, many scientific studies and whole books written on what our Lord suffered on the cross. There's no words for it. I, I'm physically ill just from reading this. And our Lord went through it. Did he have to? No, he didn't have to. And people say, well, why did he die on the cross? Couldn't he have saved us another way? I have no answer to that. God could have done whatever he wanted. But he set up 
the entire course of history. He set up the entire sacrificial system for his people through whom the Messiah would come to know the price of sin, that the wages of sin are, is death, and only the death of a sinless, bloodless animal could pay the price of sin. Our blood could not suffice. It would take the blood of a sinless Lamb of God, which God became for us. If we have little appreciation, if we take it as a history lesson, I don't imagine that any heart that could simply take this as a history lesson or something that happened 2,000 years ago or just something that his knowledge uh, fills him with today so that he goes to um, goes through the Passion at Church and each Easter Vigil, I think such a one is, is, I can't even say they're Catholic or Christian because that's just the movements of a soul that keeps up a nominal description of being a Christian. Nowhere in Christianity, beloved, certainly not in my 18 years of evangelical Protestantism, are we taught, or is it either, even suggested that we could go through our Lord's temptation in the wilderness, that we could crawl up with him on that cross on Calvary, which is what happens at every Mass. At every single Mass, Christ is not crucified again. He was crucified once for all. But that once for all crucifixion is brought through time and on to the altar of every Catholic Church during Mass. And when the priest holds up the host, which is mere bread and water, wheat and water, that little round wafer, and he pronounces over the words of that, pronounces over that wafer, this is my body. If we could see with our eyes what our uh, heart understands, we wouldn't see um, the priest, because in a sense he doesn't exist then. It is Christ who is the high priest, Christ who is the victim, and Christ it is who says, through the instrumentality of the human priest, who's an, another Christ, an altus Christi. It is Christ who says through that priest, as the priest holds up the wafer, it is Christ who says, this is my body. And we and water obey. Just as at the Last Supper, Jesus took up wheat and water in the form of matzah on the Passover. And he held it up and he said, this is my body. And bread, unleavened bread, became God. Because God creates by the power of his word. He created everything out of nothing. He said, let there be light, and there was. This is my body, and it became so. Which is why the Last Supper is the Last Supper of the Old Covenant. And the new, the First Supper of the New Covenant in his blood, which made the Last Supper of the Old Covenant, the Passover, made it the first Mass of the New Covenant in his blood. Oh, dear ones, who could understand this? It's hard intellectually, but it's, it's, it's faith. It's a gift from God. No one could figure this out on their own. It's a gift from God for everyone who wants to know God 
and the salvation that awaits them. station of the cross we proudly bring the truths of the catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices and we're grateful for the feedback we've received i'm a widower parent of three almost adults and listen to you guys around the clock father mctig society of jesus he's wonderful mother miriam of course the divine office and many other great things that station of the cross does so thanks very much for your great work i had a friend at work email me and tell me about the station of the cross a couple months after it started and i was so excited i tuned into it and i found that i love the catholic station if you've been blessed by listening to the station of the cross let us know call 1-877-888-6279 extension 112 then share your testimonial with us hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTagg, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern to welcome back Dr. Catherine Pakalik. The world says smart women don't want to have kids. Dr. Pakalik has proof that the world is wrong. Don't miss out. Join us on The Catholic Current on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we are live, and I'm thrilled, and this is our half hour together for you to call in or email with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, the heart of the matter, I always say, is the matter of your heart does not have to be what we're speaking about. And again, the toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Uh, we have Ed on the line from Massachusetts. Hello, Ed. Hello, Mother Miriam. It's so good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you for months because I, I know I've missed you. I know different time slot, and uh, I'm working. Of oh, I took the day yes. off today. I took the yeah. day off just so I could talk to you. I think because oh, you sweetheart, you sweetheart. Okay, it's I, good to hear from I, you. Can I call you? Can I call you, Mom? <laughs> yes, you may. It's cute. You know, every once in a while, you know, the, the sisters here all call me mother. But every once in a while, one of them says, Mom. <laughs> it's, yeah, they didn't I read to it. it. just comes out. It's <laughs> sweet. And when I hear your voice, even in the middle of the night, they play, replay the show and I listen to it in the middle of the night. It's, uh, it just gives me the chills. Just hearing your uh, voice. How wonderful, God Ed. God is good to us. Thanks. I know. And you know... I'm a man, as you can hear. Yeah, I can and, hear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
the women have always been the leaders. You know, you're the leader, you're the mother. My wife has given birth to six beautiful children, and now oh, we have nine, grand, nine grandchildren. Fabulous, and, Ed. And, and, and as you read the cross, the sufferings of Jesus, it's so easy to understand once you completely love Jesus that he wants us to suffer because it's, it's what, the way we can be like him. It's the only way. And also to add, if if unimaginably, to add to his suffering for the salvation of the world. That's a huge gift. Yeah, you, you, you got, it's it's. I know. I, I feel. I feel like I'm in him when I suffer with him. You and are, Ed, and he's in you. You are good. Soul, you can feel the soul at a certain point in your life when you realize how the whole thing works. After much, uh, of course, much struggle in the spiritual life, which is the only way to go, the That's only it. way to go, and, and, and you get there, and you're like, wow, this is unbelievable joy. You can't even describe it. Mm. You can't even describe it. You just want to share it. So anyway, here's, here's my share for the day. Yeah. All you women who are listening right now, mothers and non-mothers, you're really a spiritual mother. And you mothers at home bringing up children, you're the leaders. Keep doing what you're doing. You can do it. We did it. It's not easy. And we. I love you for being at home with your children. It's so beautiful. And now here's the, here's the kicker. You, we've got to tell our peers about it. We can't just be in this Catholic circle. We've got to tell these, these so-called baptized Christians that you've got to come on board here, especially with the sins of chastity. You can't go out there, women, and dress like that. You can't go out there and dress like that. It's as good as that. And good. you can't offer your tabernacle body to anybody but your future husband or to Christ himself. Right. So simple, isn't it? You're a man after my heart, Ed. That's it's absolutely right. You know, there's an old saying that whoever the one who rocks the cradle rules the world. And but the fact is that God has called men to be the head of the family and to um and for women to submit. And listening to you, I don't imagine it's a very difficult thing for your wife to submit to you, but women are to submit to a man who will lay down his life for her as Christ laid down his life for the church. So that's God's plan. And, you know, um, I see Catholics, even at the Latin Mass, that I, I just look at the way they dress. Women with little babies, and it, it utterly, utterly grieves me because the the understanding of modesty is, is gone. Let me just see here. I had... Um, Oh, I've just brought this up. Pope Pius XII, um, this was his standard for modesty. I'm quoting, A dress cannot be called decent, which is cut deeper than two fingers' breadth under the pit of the throat. So, two fingers. Here's, if you're looking, two fingers under the throat. There'd be no problem with immodesty at all. Two fingers, uh, and most shirts today, especially if a blouse has a V-neck, it's way too low. And he says, um, or can't be, cannot be called decent if it does not cover the arms. And one pope said, it at least has to cover the elbow. And 
and then another scarcely reaches a bit beyond the knees. It has to be minimum mid-calf. Um, and he says, furthermore, dresses of transparent materials are improper. Um, and I could go on if it's too tight, uh, too flimsy, whatever it is. It's such a shame that um, women don't feel this anymore. And I want them to uh, raise their children in modesty, Ed, but the mothers are dressed immodestly. So what do you do? Chokers around the neck, which is very bad. You don't want to wear a choker around your neck. Um, it, it's... it's uh, I, I wish somehow, uh, like you, Ed, that that women would display their inner beauty by their outer beauty, because it, the outer beauty of a modesty um, contradicts the inner beauty of a woman. I know the devil wants to come in through the eyes. And, uh, oh yeah, there you we, go. We can't. Yeah, yeah. That's right. All right. God bless you. I won't take up any more time. I, I love you for your God. call. I hope you won't be uh, missing groceries because you took the day off. <laughs> <laughs> God Not bless you, my brother. We're blessed. Okay. We're blessed so many ways. Thank you, mother. Thanks, Ed. God bless you, sweetheart. We have um, an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Dear Mother Miriam, <clears throat> I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the use of social media by priests as well as members of religious communities. Why do I ask this question? Well, sometimes, well, here, I'm part of a religious community and I'm using the media, so obviously I approve of it. Um, uh, and this person says, well, sometimes I see posts on social media by priests and religious that are of a spiritual nature, such as prayers, photos, articles, and so on, things that might be considered useful to help their flock get closer to our Lord. I'm certainly in favor of that. However, this person writes, sometimes I see posts on social media by priests and religious that are not related to the faith in any way, such as, for example, photos of outings with their friends or to restaurants and their desire for their favorite sports team to win the next game, cute photos of them with their cat or dog or photos of their vocations, etc. Before reading the rest of your email, dear one, I'm totally against this. We must come out from the world and be separate. Does that mean we shouldn't go uh, on an outing or to a restaurant with friends? Does that mean we shouldn't have pets? It does not. But that's not the message we give to the world. What makes us different? It's one of the reasons that nuns gave up the habit because they want to relate uh, to the world. They want the world to relate to them. And they lost their vocation. The, the, the People need nuns and priests to be separate. They don't need them to be peers. They need them to be separate from the world, to lead them to heaven. And this one says, personally, my preference would be to see only faith-related items being posted by priests and religious on social media. Me too. But having said that, I look forward to your thoughts. I agree with you 100%. I, I, why, what's the point of religious um, posting and and putting on um, social media what the world does. What's the point? We need to help the world come apart and be separate. And he says, or she says, thank you kindly. May God continue to bless you with all that you do. Thank you very much. I agree with you totally, totally, totally. I even question 
priests and religious using X, which was Facebook, and other things. I, I even question that. It needs to be holy. It needs to be holy. And holy means set apart from the world. Um, let me just see. I'm getting a message here. Um, okay. Um, it's from James, our dear producer, who says, I have a caller on the line who was hoping that you could quickly repeat Oh, the name of the article that you were reading in the first half of the show regarding the crucifixion. I can do that. Hold on. Let me just see if I, if I still have it up. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, dear. Hold on. I'm looking for it. I don't know if I already deleted it. Um... Just one moment. I'll see if I can find it. Um, you know what? Um, here it is. Got it. Thank you, Lord. Okay, the, it's from Azusa Pacific, A-Z-U-S-A, and the title is The Science of the Crucifixion. The Science of the Crucifixion. Okay. All right. God bless you. All right. Let me now go back to where we were. All right. Um, Hold on. Oh, no, I can't believe this. Hold on. All right. Hold on one moment. All right. Um, We have an email from Mark. Mark says, hello, Mother. I have a question regarding something that I saw in an outline group. An, oh, an online group, sorry. The group is Catholic Faith Defenders. Specifically, the author says that it is very wrong to make the sign of the cross after receiving the Eucharist. I was surprised to see this as I've done it all my life and see many others doing the same. Can you tell me if this is indeed correct? Thank you, Mother Miriam. I tell you, Mark, I'd have to look that up. I don't know. I've never heard that before. I make the sign of the cross after receiving the Eucharist. Uh, I I wish the explanation was there. If... um, the author says it's very wrong to make the sign of the cross after receiving the Eucharist. Um, I would hope that he would have an explanation, or she would have an explanation, which is not posted here. So I will, uh, hopefully at the next break, try to get that online and see if there's any explanation for it. My immediate guess is that we're before Christ, we're receiving him, And if Jesus were standing before us in person, as he did when he was on earth, and he is before us in person in the Eucharist, would we say, Lord, I love you, and make the sign of the cross in front of him, the fact that we were in front of him, would we say, Lord, I love you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And we we probably wouldn't because it seems too... uh, formal or or maybe we're doing something that we would do outside of his presence but the fact is um, we acknowledge that Jesus is the second person of the blessed trinity 
I, by making the sign of the cross. So I would, I haven't thought about that. I go to a Latin, we go to a Latin parish, and um, I don't know of anyone who does not make the sign of the cross, including myself, after receiving our Lord. So um, I'll see, there's the music for our second break. I'll see if I could take a look real quickly at Catholic Faith Defenders and uh, see if there's an explanation. And then we'll be right back. We'll have 10 minutes, um, which is enough time if anyone wishes to call in. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back, dear ones. of a Catholic take heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's a Catholic take weekday morning, 7 a.m. right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station on the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. 30 Seconds on the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, brought to you by the Station of the Cross. The gift of piety is explained in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as the gift which leads one to devotion to God. In St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes, The spirit you received is not the spirit of slaves, it is the spirit of sons, and it makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The gift of piety stirs up in us the desire to love, respect, and honor our Lord. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, to uh, Mother Miriam Live. This is our last section segment rather we do have 10 minutes and there's still time for you to call in if you wish with anything at all on your heart toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com just before the break we read an email from mark who says i have a question regarding something that i saw in an online group catholic faith 
defenders. Specifically, the author says that it's very wrong to make the sign of the cross after receiving the Eucharist. I was surprised to see this, as I've done it all my life, and see many others doing the same. Can you tell me if this is indeed correct? Thank you, Mother Miriam. Well, I tried, dear Mark, looking it up. Um, There is um, a group on the Internet. I just saw it, Catholic Faith, rather than Defenders of the Catholic Faith, Catholic Faith Defenders, and I clicked to go to their site, and it's only on Facebook, and I didn't know how to sign into that, so I couldn't see it. But um, I did look up very briefly um, the question, is it okay to make the sign of the cross uh, when receiving communion or after receiving communion? And the, the answer of a priest was absolutely, there's nothing to stop us from doing that. What he suggests is that um, we, we wait a moment so that when we receive uh, the, the Holy Eucharist, we don't immediately do this and chance hitting the ciborium of an accident if that's what the priest is talking about that's fine so we receive communion wait a moment and then make the sign of the cross reverently there's nothing wrong with that so i would uh, go to catholic faith defenders if you can get onto their site and and see what their explanation is of that um We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, I have a few questions for Mother Miriam. Number one, what recommendations or reflections would you have for young men who are looking to make a commitment of engagement to get married? Number one, get a spiritual director, a good, holy priest as a spiritual director, and begin to live the life you would live as a husband. You you would eliminate anything that is unspiritual from your life. You would uh, read good books. You would develop a prayer life if you don't have one. You would learn the faith that you're going to pass on to your wife and your children. You would gather good, holy Catholic men around you uh, who keep each other accountable in living holy Catholic lives. Um, that's number one. Uh, whatever our desires are, don't wait. Li- because if you wait, you'll get married and you will flounder. Begin now to live the life you would want to live as a holy, godly husband of God. Number two, he says, is there a difference in the process of customs of marriage between Ordo and Tridentine? I would say yes without having them before me. Um, the Trinitine sacraments um, under the old extraordinary form, which is not old, it's still current and new, uh, forever new, the mass of the ages, are deeper, more extensive, more beautiful, more complete than anything you will come across in the new order. So there is a difference. And you can simply look online for uh, to bring up the difference of the, um, the sacrament of marriage between the Novus Ordo and the Tridentine Mass. Uh, But without looking at it, I will tell you yes. I've been to both. I've been to a wedding in the Novus Ordo, and I've been to a wedding in the Tridentine, and the reverence and the beauty cannot be compared. Number three, are there opportunities for lay people such as myself to have in-person conversations with you? Could I offer you lunch or a meal and have a conversation? My goodness. 
Well, yes, we've had a number of families and individuals uh, who are coming through Tyler um, stop and, and visit and say hello and have a meal with us or convers- even private conversation. That's not a problem at all, dear one. Absolutely. Um, okay, there's also, if, if you're not here in person, uh, we could also make a phone appointment. So um, that's, that's also possible. Um, this person says, I used to live in Tyler when I went to university, but now I live about two hours away in Dallas. Oh, that's very close. I encourage a lot of my friends, family, and even my girlfriend to listen to your podcast. That is why I seek to be careful about my questions. Best regards, Anonymous. God bless you, dear one. God bless you. I invite you to come to our Priory in Tyler um, for... uh, a meal with us or conversation, and you're welcome to bring your girlfriend as well, if you wish. Okay. Um, We have another email from Anonymous who says, Dear Mother Miriam, I am engaged to my fiancé, and we have our wedding date set for October of this year. When he initially proposed to me months ago, my family was supportive. They were reluctant, but supportive of the decision for us to get engaged. There has been a particular tension between him and my sister since we met. When he would visit the house, my sister refused to say hello to him or acknowledge him at all for several years. My goodness. Though things seemed to get better recently, there was an incident in which my fiancé said something that offended my sister, and she told my mother. My fiancé felt like my sister went behind her back with this maliciously and got very angry. Due to the bad nature of the relationship they had previously, my fiancé asked me to ask her not to be my maid of honor. I was completely distraught when he asked this of me, and I expressed to him that I believed it was wrong and would cause more problems. He convinced me to ask her, however... This is not sounding good. Well, my mother became irate with... Well, I'm going to say, first of all, before reading further, if your fiancé convinces you not to ask your sister to be your maid of honor um, simply because he doesn't like her personality, that's a man you should not marry. Um, You shouldn't marry him. He has no right to take someone of your own flesh and blood and dictate to you that they shouldn't be your maid of honor. And the fact that your fiancé got um, uh, very angry at your sister's situation, uh, he's not a mature man. It doesn't mean your sister is right. It means the man you're looking to marry is going to be a very troublesome husband. He's going to try to rule over you wrongly, He's going to get very angry when he doesn't get his way or when things aren't right. This is a man you should not marry. And uh, she goes on to say, well, my mother became irate with me for this decision, and she should. And I now realize it was completely wrong. Good. I apologized profusely to my whole family and confessed what I did in confession because I believe I carried out revenge unjustly. My sister is now refusing to attend the wedding at all. And my mother says that she will not attend either 
if my sister doesn't attend? Well, everybody is extremely immature in this situation. They're very immature. But it happened because um, you didn't have good counsel on what to do in this situation. Um, my father seems more forgiving on the matter. My family told me they believe my fiancé is controlling me, I think the same, and that he has a driven, has driven a wedge in the family. I love my fiancé dearly, and I wish to marry him. However, I do not know how to resolve the awful situation that has arisen from all of this. There's the ending music, dear one. Um, I'm going to take your email again first thing tomorrow uh, for the half hour that we take emails. Um, I, I believe you love him dearly, but he is not ready for marriage. He has to mature, and the situation in your family should be mended. We'll speak with you all tomorrow. God bless you.